Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, with the latest ideas to improve the health of our planet and its people. I'm Maggie Fox. Planet Earth faces many challenges, pollution, climate change, and new and re-emerging infectious diseases. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust with bite-sized insights and a ways to help. In this episode, we're chatting with Thomas Van Buckel, who studies the rise of antibiotic-resistant bacteria and other drug-resistant microbes around the world. He's at the Department of Environmental System Science at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, also known as ETH Zurich. He's also a visiting fellow at the Run Health Trust. Today, we'll ask Dr. Van Buckel specifically about the use of antibiotics in aquaculture, think fish and shrimp farming. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Nice being with you, Bengi. First off, let's ask about aquaculture. Is that just fish farming? Well, it depends how you define it, but the sort of broad definition that we took uh, in our work is to include anything that is farmed by humans and comes from the water and that is an animal. Where is this happening most often? Which countries have these big fish farms? So aquaculture has been around for, for centuries uh, throughout uh, China and, and most of most of Southern Asia. And this sort of has remained uh, sort of the global focal point where you know, close to 90% of the of the fish farmed in, in the world uh, are in South Asia. And why do they use antibiotics? So for the same reason, we use antibiotics, uh, except their use has been a bit more systematic than, than for us humans. So they use antibiotic uh, to treat disease and most often to prevent uh, disease. And in particular, in Southeast Asia, there's been some surveys saying, you know, suggesting that the use of antibiotic is really quite systematic in, in, in the production of fish. Now, my understanding is with um, other types of agriculture, livestock, cattle, um, pigs, that sort of thing, one reason there's heavy use of antibiotics is because these are lots of animals crowded into a small area and disease can spread very quickly. But it also helps make some of the animals grow faster and better. Is that right? Uh, that might be the case. I'm, I'm less aware of, of a, a lot of studies that have sort of pointed out to this to this effect uh, for fish. I think that the primary reason why antibiotics are used in, in fish is really as kind of an insurance policy. So as you said, there's so many fish packed in such a small space, uh, there would be a big loss for the fish farmer uh, if he or she loses the, the production. So I think the, the use is mostly preventive. Uh, there, there might be some evidence of uh, growth promotion, but uh, that's, there's not overwhelming evidence of use for that purpose. So, and it's because these animals are packed in and disease could spread very quickly among them. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have uh, conditions where animals are, are packed all together, you know, look at this from the perspective of a pathogen. That's, uh, of course, something that's very attractive and, and we don't want to make it attractive for pathogens uh, when we have a farm full of fish. So how much does aquaculture account for in terms of antibiotic use as compared to use in livestock, such as cattle, chicken, or pigs? In our study a, a couple of years ago, we estimated that aquaculture might consume up to 10,000 uh, tons uh, every year. So that would represent somewhere between 5 and 10% of the global production in anti of antibiotics in, in 2017. So is still sort of fairly fairly modest uh, compared to animal and humans. However, bear in mind that we know very, very little about uh, what might be going on in terms of antibiotic use uh, in, in fish, and there's considerable uncertainty 
as a result of, of these small numbers, there's considerable uncertainty on this figure of 10,000 ton. And our upper bound for the confidence interval on that figure would be up to 50,000 tons uh, per year. I think you've reported before that three quarters of all antibiotics used around the world go to animals instead of people. Is that right? Yeah, uh, that's right. As, as far as we know, uh, given the evidence uh, available for both the human and the, and the animal sector. So humans and animal, in terms of intensity of use per unit of biomass, they use more or less the same, the same amount. However, given the fact that we farm so many animals for food, we end up uh, having almost three quarters, 73% to be precise, of uh, the antibiotic uh, sales worldwide that are uh, used in the animal sector. And what does that mean for people? Oh, that's the billion dollar question. Uh, so there's been sort of contrasting uh, evidence about that, depending on which uh, category of drug and pathogen uh, you consider. For some, it, there seems to be a very direct link between the use of uh, antibiotics in animal and infections in humans. That's the case of uh, MRSA, where pig farmers, uh, for instance, had infections that had sort of an animal signature to it. Whereas for other uh, drug-bug combination, uh, there seems to be much less evidence of transfer between animal and human. So the true answer is we don't really know. But given the volume of drugs used in animals, I would say there are reasons to be concerned. So because these antibiotics are being used in the animals, the animals are exposed to them. And that means that the, the germs that are already in their body can evolve differently and develop resistance to the antibiotics. Exactly. So what's happening is that the germs don't, that don't have the chance of carrying this drug resistance genes, well, they won't make it. The, the drug will get at them. Whereas the, the bugs that do carry this resistance uh, genes, well, they will thrive in that environment. They're not stopped by the drug. Now, if you happen to eat a piece of meat uh, or touch an animal that is carrying those drug-resistant pathogen, this pathogen may then cause an infection in you. And if you end up in the clinic, uh, the doctors will have quite a bit of difficulty treating you because the drugs simply won't work. So does this mean that the, the, the fish, the shrimp, the mollusks that are sold from these farms are carrying the germs with them when they leave the farms? They might. And that's the whole problem. So the biggest use here appears to be in low and middle income countries where populations are apparently demanding more and more protein as they grow. And I guess they're becoming big customers of these farms. How can the world cut back on this antibiotic use fairly? Well, first of all, I'd like to correct your, your, your question in, in two small ways. Like, I think what's happening with population growth and increased demand for, for meat and fish and in low and middle income countries, that's no different than what we have done in the West for about 70 years. The other aspect is that a lot of the fish and particularly the shrimp that is being farmed, let's say in, in South India or, or, in, uh, or in Vietnam and Thailand is actually intended for the Western market as well. So I think it's it might be a low and middle income country issue that is sort of mostly uh, driven as well by sort of our demand in the West. So Western countries want, want these farmed products, which are farmed then in, in the low and middle income countries. Who's at bigger risk from antibiotic resistance caused by this use of antibiotics in farms? The, the local people who are farming them, the customers, is it an equal risk? It's an excellent question. We don't really have a sort of a systematic uh, answer to, to that uh, at this stage, because I'm not aware personally of a sort of a global survey that tried to to look at this issue in terms of uh, 
occupational exposure for the workers or a sort of a customer uh, exposure from the people who who eat uh, those those products and comparing sort of the the rates at which they get uh, the bug across different countries. My understanding is this is a, this is a type of research you're advocating for that you're starting to do this global mapping of where this is happening. Yeah, it's been a few years that uh, you know we what what prompted this initiative to try to map antibiotic resistance in uh, in fish and in terrestrial uh, food animals was essentially that there was little systematic surveillance being done across low and middle income countries. And so what we started to do with with, with my team and with some friends at Princeton. Uh, was to try to collect every little individual point prevalence survey that had been done in various countries around the world by local veterinarians or local microbiologists who were looking for drug-resistant bacteria. And what we try to do is merely to put all of this together and do some clever statistics to try to produce these big maps of resistance around the world. And the, the purpose of those maps is to try to give that to policymakers to try to target the intervention, reinforce surveillance in the areas where surveillance is, is, is needed and sort of use that as a basis for action. So what can you do once you know where this is happening? What can you do about it? How can you get people to cut back on this antibiotic use? So I think what's been a driving factor both in human and in animal is try to improve hygiene conditions. You know, so much antibiotic is used because people get an infection in the first place. And so if you can prevent that from happening by embracing good hygiene practices and humans like increasing, uh, increasingly washing your hands and having access to safe, safe water and sanitation, in animals it would be sort of implementing frequent cleaning between uh, production uh, cycles. And that's really what the countries that have cut down on antibiotic use in animals uh, have, have succeeded in doing. What has the industry been able to do to protect fish and other animals used in aquaculture against some of these antibiotic-resistant diseases? So there's been some, some success stories, like uh, the case of salmon farming. So the, the salmon industry, uh, which used to be associated with some of the highest rates of antibiotic use back in the 80s and 90s, has cut that to very, very limited level, and that is thanks to vaccines. In particular, they use vaccines uh, to protect uh, against uh, furunculosis. Um, but now the problem uh, in sort of uh, telling that story is that we tend to mix the salmon story with the story of aquaculture as a whole because salmon is one of the main species that is farmed and consumed in Western countries. However, uh, the fish that are most farmed in the world are species of carps that are found in, in China, uh, in, in South Asia in particular, and about those, we know almost nothing about the amount of antibiotic that is used to farm them or about the resistance level associated with these fish. So I think we need to be very careful in trying to pitch the story of salmon that represents only 4% of uh, the global production uh, of, of aquaculture as the story of aquaculture as a whole. And I think there's still many sort of uh, gray areas where we need to have more data to draw conclusions about what the industry as a whole is capable to do to reduce antibiotic use and resistance. So there's this vaccine that protects salmon against one disease. Why can't you just deploy that more broadly? Well, I would certainly encourage developing more vaccines against more disease that can affect fish. But uh, it would be a huge endeavor, I think, to try to develop and commercialize a vaccine against every disease that affects every fish. 
it's very important to understand that we're, far, we're farming many, many different species of fish as opposed to, to livestock, where we mostly farm four or five uh, species of, of, of livestock. So in the short term, we're stuck with antibiotic if we want to keep raising fish in quantities that uh, we want. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Tom. You're welcome. Listeners can share this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, by email, Twitter, or your favorite social media platform. And let us know what else you'd like to hear about at OWOH, that's OWOH at OneHealthTrust.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshminarayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, One Word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.